I wouldn't let anyone get close to me. I would not let anyone know my real feelings. I couldn't talk to anyone. I was just very guarded. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. If you are curious or want to learn more or perhaps are interested in our membership, check the show notes. All that stuff is there. Have a look. And of course, you can help us out right now by rating or reviewing or doing both on Apple or I believe Spotify. It really does help people find the podcast. And we want more people to find the podcast. Remember, these conversations are one way to help more people in more places hopefully feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast. We don't hold back. So please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Jackie. Jackie lives in Massachusetts and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Jackie, I want to let our audience know, our awesome audience, that I spoke with your daughter not too long ago. In fact, her episode is already out. Emily in Massachusetts. Is she she in college now? Did she go? She did, but she's currently back home right now. She made it two weeks. She's trying to continue to attend classes. We don't want to pull her completely, but she realized she's struggling, can't be safe, and needs to be home. One of the things I remember, I said it on there, your mother is a badass because she shared spousal stuff, a lot of stuff in the family. And I, was, I just remember thinking, your mother has been through a fair amount, that is for sure. And she did not disagree with me. It's been a long road. I mean, I was a young mom. She's not my only. There's five total. So she has four other siblings. Uh, my oldest, Caitlin, is 21. You have Emily, who is uh, 19. She has a brother, Anthony, who is 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had another brother, Joseph, who we I lost as a stillborn. And then she has a sister, Madeline, who's 16. And then my baby, Rebecca, is 11 and a half. Wow, that was a busy decade. It was. It was a lot. So the name of this podcast, yep. as you know, is Suicide Noted. And you wanted to come on here for a couple reasons, right? One was because of your daughter's ECT treatment, or at least in due in large part to that, some of the stuff may not have been entirely mm-hmm. accurate. The other part is mm-hmm. you want to share stuff about your own life yeah. as a mother who's gone through this. And I, you're an attempt survivor. Yes. I've tried multiple times. I've had to but- share with my daughter. I had to open up to someone who's going through a lot so that she kind of understands that I understand. And I'm not just saying that to, you know, comfort her. It's a true understanding. It's true battle. Never stops. What's it like to have a daughter who has tried to take her own life? 
it's one of those hard ones. It's like you understand and I carry a lot of guilt. I carry guilt because it's like, did she get this from me? Because, you know, I struggled as a teenager and someone, they say mental health can travel down. And then it's like, okay, well, I struggled. And then when they're in womb and they learn a lot of things because it's like changing their chemical imbalance when they're growing inside. If you're constantly stressed and going through a lot of strong emotions, it affects the fetus at before they're even born. There's just a lot of guilt on on my part that I feel like I kind of contributed a lot to what she's going through. So I have four other living children besides Emily, and they all struggle, but some aren't as bad as Emily. They all have like the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression. But unfortunately, Emily is the extreme case where she has some severe PTSD. She has treatment resistant depression. So nothing is working for her. You've been through your stuff, been or are going through your stuff. Both. I've been through some and I continue to go. I mean, the past is worse, but I try to explain to Emily, it's like your suicidal ideation might go away for some time, but there's always a trigger that can pop it back up. Yes, they leave sometimes easier than others, and sometimes they hang on, but dealing with depression and suicidal ideation, you're never completely healed and well, never. You can have what they call like a remission period where you're having good things in your life, but something bad happens can bring up all the trauma again, and you spiral back down. And it's just whether you have a good support system, or you have the good skills, and even a solid mindset to pull yourself back out a little bit easier, it all depends. Yeah, I imagine a good number of parents would do everything they can to sort of, for lack of a better word, sugarcoat things. But I am kind of really appreciating the fact that you I'm sure you were kind about it, but you said, here's the truth. I have to be. Emily's the type of kid, too, that she knows if you're BSing. She needs, you have to be blunt with her. You you cannot tip her toe around. And if you don't ask her the right questions, she will not answer. She'll tiptoe around and she'll be like, yeah, um, not bad. I'm like, not bad as how is your doing okay? Or you don't have a plan yet? Or, you know, you have to blatantly ask her. If you don't ask her if she has a plan, she won't tell you. There's maybe one exception, and it's me, and I'll tell you why. She reached out to me after hearing the podcast, so she was already open to talking. I might be the only person in that particular category just because maybe it's like a stranger on the train type thing, right? Like She doesn't know me, but she's heard the podcast enough. She's like, all right, this guy seems okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I was shocked, but I mean, if a doctor comes in and even if she doesn't know them, like they usually, doctors will usually talk to the parent first. And I have to warn them, you just have to go right in. And I said, for like a lack of words, I'm like, you just have to go for the jugular and ask. I'm like, you have to ask the right questions because she's too smart. If you don't ask the right questions, you're not going to get the answers. The right questions are usually just the honest questions. Professionals and therapists, they're just used to trying to be nice and not wanting to trigger. And it's like, well, if you don't ask the right questions, she's not going to tell. You got to go for it. And you got to be honest with her. I mean, if you sugarcoat and say, oh, it's not going to be that bad. And then it gets bad. She's not going to trust you. Which you know what? I wouldn't either. No one likes to get bullshitted too. No one likes bullshit. No, nobody. Well, there might be some people. It's just weird to me. Of course, people appreciate 
Honesty. I mean, all right. So now you know the primary vehicle this is, the primary goal isn't is less about suicide, loss survivors, suicide attempt survivors. So how many attempts, however you define that, and it might sound weird, but truly people define it a little differently sometimes. Do you have in your life? Three good ones that I attempted. And we'll say like I've come close to quite a few other times where if someone hadn't caught on, there would have been more. Do you recall more or less the ages of those attempts? Yeah. So my first one, I was 13. And then I had another one when I was, I want to say like between the ages of 16 and 17. The last one that like I really tried, I was in my early 30s. So there was only a gap because I had my first child at 18. And how old are you now? I am just turned 40. Yes. Well, congratulations. <laughs> it's a great yeah. fucking decade. Ahead. That's cool. <laughs> you're midlife. You made it. So far, yep. This is a weird question. This is like one of these questions where you're not really supposed to ask, but I do when someone could say like, I don't know, or I don't want to answer mm-hmm. that. Is there a why? Let's go back to your first one. Well, why why did you try when you were 13? Yeah. Well, for I didn't know that I had some hidden trauma that had happened when I was younger. It actually came out when I was hospitalized after that time. I've just started like having issues in junior high and getting picked on and bullied. And, you know, it just downward spiraled and I couldn't figure out why I was so angry all the time. It came out when I was actually in hospitalized the first time that, you know, I had some abuse Mm -hmm. when I was little and I was just so young that couldn't remember the exact details. It was blocked out, wasn't processing things at a teenager when things are already difficult in life. And you went to the hospital, you said, or a doctor to talk about that? Uh, hospital. I was hospitalized. Hospitalized at 13 years old for over a good two weeks. Came home on medication and tried the whole therapy for a while. Self-medicated when I was in a teenager. You know, you get into the wrong crowd and drinking and pot and at 13 to get through life. It was what I needed then because I wasn't getting like, you know, the total support at home from a parent because they didn't want to believe everything that had happened because it was a parent of theirs. Oh, man. Gotta yeah. say, I, still, I love your accent just for what it's worth. You're going to say I don't have an accent, but you do. So do I. I just love it. Boston. Yeah. Right outside Boston, but yeah. So you're 13. All right. You tried with pills? Um, I actually was a cutter and I cut down my arm and just missed the artery my first attempt because even what the i remember one of the nurses when like my first day in the hospital she's like you did it right and i was like hmm, that's supposed to be <laughs> a good yeah. comment to say she's like you knew what you were doing mm-hmm. is it ever weird to think if that thing works you don't have children i go back and it's like i thank my kids i mean no matter how much they stress me out and no matter how many days i'm like i don't want to be a parent anymore because it's too hard and I'll be honest, some days are really, really hard. And you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> sure. I've joked around. I'm like, can I just, can I sell them? Yep. I tell them numerous times. I'm like, I am here because of them. Mm. There's many times that I wanted to give up. And even Emily has asked, like, how do you keep going? And I'm like, well, I kept going for my kids. I still keep going for my kids. But how did you keep going when you were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, until you were had a kid? Like that at that point in the beginning, it was just the self-medicating, hanging out with the wrong crowd, doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been. I mean, 
it sounds awful, but at a young age, I was very promiscuous and I just was going around looking for whatever attention and whatever I could get. That just kept me going for a while. Sadly, I found my ex in the back, I mean, years ago and started putting my whole energy into them at 15 when I met them. I had an attempt even after they broke up with me and actually they broke up with me because I had an attempt. And just to be clear, only because when I hear it, it might be a tiny bit confusing. They is a pronoun referring to a single person. And this is also your ex-husband, right? Yes. So you met this person, teenage years, and is the mm-hmm. attempt you're referring to when- That yeah. was my second attempt. And I just had my third while I was with them as well. Your ex broke up with you after your attempt. Obviously, you get together mm-hmm. after that at some point. Um, after I came out of the hospital and they broke up with me, I went into just working. I had two jobs and all I did was work, 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 work all summer. And the only reason why I ended up ever contacting um, them after they dumped me was because their grandfather died. And I just wanted to make sure they were okay. It wasn't to get back, but I reached out to them to make sure they were okay. Their family was okay. And that was it. Well, that wasn't it. It wasn't a, please come back to me. I miss you. No, it was just, are you doing okay? And then they actually oh, came yeah. back to me and asked me back. Yep. You said yes. You had some kids. We're summarizing here. It's so from when you have a kid at 18, right? 18 was your first? Mm-hmm. I was still in high school when I had uh, my first one. I was still a senior in high school. Did people know? I attempted to go back to high school, but because I ended up getting married, my school wouldn't let me back. It wasn't the issue that I was pregnant. It was the issue that I was married. So they wouldn't let me back to the school because the teachers wouldn't know how to respect me because if I'm married, I'm married like them and we're on the same level and it's a whole respect thing. So they wouldn't let me back. I went into the school to talk to them myself, already emotional because here I am pregnant, already scared because I'm pregnant and I didn't finish school yet. I didn't have any of these comebacks for them or comments for them until after I left. And I'm like, it's too late now. The situation's already done, but yeah. So you have your child, you have Emily's your second child. You're married to this person. It was not easy. I mean, all I did was sit home and raise kids and really couldn't work too much and hadn't still hadn't finished school yet. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't want to. It was at that time, they didn't want me to. They wanted me home. They had the mindset that they're the guy. They need to provide for the family. I'm supposed to be home taking care of the kids in the house. And it's like, that's not how I want my life. Yes, I want kids, but that's not how I want my life to be. And that's how it was made to be for quite a few years. Does that have any connection to your third attempt? A little bit. It came into, there was a lot in between, like each time I'd I'd try to go to work, they didn't want to help, or I'd try to finish high school. They didn't want to watch the kids. You know, everything was too important. It was like I tried. Eventually, I ended up doing online classes and I did four whole years of my high school over in like 18 months. So I did that all online while I had little kids. And then I wanted to go back to school again because I finally had my high school diploma where I could. It was fine for that because they had no excuse to stop me. Because at this point, they're like, well, what about the kids? How are you going to take care of the kids? Well, I wasn't stupid. So what I had done is I had gone on and gotten the vouchers for the kids. 
found out how to pay for these classes myself. So there was no excuse to stop me this time because what are you going to do? You don't want to watch the kids? I already know that's going to be your excuse. So now they are in daycare. You don't have to worry about paying for it. It's fine. That's how I actually became a medical assistant. Oh, cool. And then from there, I mean, there was a lot of stopping. I was getting ready to jump right into nursing school. I haven't made it yet. I'm still getting ready to try. It's like on the back burner waiting, but they stopped me multiple times because I applied, I got in. And at the same time that I was going back to college, they decided they needed to go back to college to better their career so they could provide more for the family. And that's all I got. Well, I need to finish first. Um, It's more important for me to finish first because I'd make more money right off the bat. I can't advance my career if I don't do this. So I had to drop out multiple times. And I know this only because I spoke to your daughter not that long ago. By the time people are hearing this, they will have already heard her. I know that you're split from your then husband now, right? Yep. When, when was that split? Officially August of 2018. And so your third and I believe final attempt was several years before then. I'm just doing the math here. You said you were 40, 35. That one, we split in August of 2018. I would say it was probably... About 2016 or so, I had another attempt. I would probably say closer to the in the 17, 2017. I took a bunch of pills and I'll, and chased it with alcohol. Do you ever wish that any of those attempts had worked? Sometimes I do. And then in the back of my mind, knowing that Emily wasn't struggling this bad at that point. So if I had not survived, she still wouldn't be here. You don't think she'd be here? I don't. Because if it, if it was going to be inevitable and she was going to struggle with mental health and I wasn't here, I don't think she'd be here. The hospitals could barely keep her alive while she was even in the hospitals. Did you have a you in your life? Like she has you. Did you ever have anybody? So you were trying to do it mostly. It's hard. Do you ideate today? Do you think about ending your life still sometimes? I'd be lying if I said no. They don't last as long. I could sit there and I could like gather everything that I, I'm going to do and I could sit there and get ready. And it's just like something just stops me. It's the hearing the kids or, you know, just something that stops me. Even if they're fighting downstairs, I remember, okay, they're down there. Even if it's they're fighting that it set me off, who's going to be there for them? Even though I like know I have family, but who's really going to be there? Who's going to advocate for Emily and push for Emily? Do you think when your youngest gets to be an adult, that dynamic could change in a maybe dangerous direction or is it too impossible to know? Honestly, I can't, I can't say that it would. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, my kids are still there and, you know, at that point they're going to hopefully we'll start having kids of their own and uh, I'd be looking forward to wanting to watch my grandchildren or helping them with their children, you know, so that they're not struggling when they need a mental break from a child. You know, I just hope that that would be in the background and want to keep me going is there's my kids still and maybe their kids, whether they give birth their own or adopt or whatever, you know, I'm just hoping that's will be there. I know Emily had ECT. I'm only showing that because people will hear it on this podcast. So it's kind of public affected her memory. Some have you had anything in terms of treatment that has either worked or not worked? I have not done the ECT route. I've done the medication and therapy and, you know, 
I still struggle. I'm still on medication. I've been on medication since I was 13 and here I am 40. So it might be different medication, but it never stops. It's like add, subtract, change up, down, you know, constantly changing. I mean, I've thought about doing the ECT route. And at that time I was seeing a therapist and I was going through like therapy for PTSD. And she's like, kept telling me not to do it, not to do it, not to do it. And it's like, well, if I'm struggling, why not? So there's just some doctors and providers that will support it. And then there's still some that don't. I've heard mixed things that work can be effective, but there are some side effects, right? And- mm-hmm. There are side effects. There's people that have completely lost their memory and can't even read and do math and write anymore, which is the severe end of it. And then right. you have some like Emily who just have temporary memory loss. It's not an easy thing. It's not, it's not easy to watch someone go through. I can't imagine actually being in her shoes and going through it. So that's one thing that I don't understand what Emily feels when she does it. And I I tell her that all the time. That's why I let her derive that end of her treatment. She can stop when she wants, but before she stops, it's like, let's have a plan. Let's talk to the doctors and have a set up plan. Make sure you have services set up and just go from there. I just can't, I don't want her to downward spiral. I'm going to take a guess here that given you have five children, at least four of whom are you're actively involved with their life like day to day. I'm going to guess that you have very few people in your life to talk to about your stuff. That is true. I think there's a lot of people like middle-aged, the age doesn't really matter, but they're just, they're busy and they don't have time to like cultivate the relationships or carve out the time. It's That's my life anyway. And maybe I'm just projecting, but it's hard, man. It is. It's very hard. I mean, I have a couple of friends that occasionally, like, I don't even see them really in face to face. It's like, we will message each other and we just vent to each other and so right. try to support each other through text and messaging. It's like, you just try to support each other because they're struggling with their own thing. You're struggling with yours. Yeah. You just have to vent to someone. And when I get really bad, like if Emily has really gotten bad when she was in the hospital and I was scared, I call my mom crying. Because I needed to let it out somewhere and she couldn't see or hear me. So I had to go somewhere. <laughs> and your mom was cool with it? Yeah, she she knows. And she's like, I wish I could take your pain away. I wish I could help in some way. She did help in some way. She listened, right? Well, she didn't. Yeah, she does. She does listen. And then if I really need her, she will come sit with the youngest ones. When I was going back and forth, when Emily was in the hospital, she'd come and sit. So she did help more than she really thinks she did. But yeah, she did. Do you ever get a diagnosis that you think is accurate? Not really. No. I mean, I know I have anxiety. I know I have depression. And then I know I have PTSD, but they were all over the place sometimes. They were like, maybe you're bipolar. Is anyone in your family bipolar? Are you schizophrenic? And I'm like, no, no. I let someone try to give me the whole bipolar diagnosis because, you know, at one point they labeled my sister as bipolar. And I actually panicked and thought, if I'm really this bad, am I like my sister? My sister's really not bipolar. She was just one doctor didn't right. like she was like in the little literally having a nervous breakdown, labeled her as bipolar and she wasn't. So I let them try to label me as that. And I tried the medication and another doctor took me right off and said, you're not bipolar. You have PTSD. I mean, you have a lot going on. You have this was even before a lot of the stuff was going on. It's like you lost a child. You have every right to have PTSD. You have every right to feel the way you're feeling. It's all normal. And it's normal for you to, when you're severely stressed out, to 
disassociate and kind of like black out and remove yourself from a situation for your body to calm down and relax and be able to function again. So it wasn't until you hit and find the right doctors are like, okay, it makes sense. Thanks. hundred percent. One's behavior is like normal, given what they're going through. Exactly. Most human beings, if they're living that life for a while, would be acting probably not too dissimilar, right? Were you always open? You said that you had been for some time about talking about your struggles. Did you keep it kind of quiet for a long time and then at some point open up more? Honestly, I was very a very guarded, quiet person until probably a few years ago. I'd probably say until like 2019, early to uh, 2020, I was a very guarded person. I wouldn't let anyone get close to me. I would not let anyone know my real feelings. I couldn't talk to anyone. I was just very guarded. I wouldn't even let my employer, I'd give my employers very bare minimum, wouldn't give them any information on really what's going on in my life. Didn't fully tell my mom everything that was had been going on or going on. Um, definitely wouldn't, wasn't talking to my ex. He's the one that made me very guarded. I couldn't trust. So he broke my trust and really made it hard. Like I had a huge wall up. My now husband is the one that slowly broke it down. I still have a hard time. You mean on Tinder? Yeah, I did. It's actually okay, Cupid. But yeah, I met him online. So I know you're super busy, married, bunch of kids, working. Oh yeah, I work full time. That's an, I don't know. How do you stay healthy and sleep enough? Some nights are hard, and especially when since Emily has been sick, nights have been hard. She doesn't know that when she's really struggling. I set my alarm all through the night to get up and check on her. It's like having a baby. Just get up every hour, two, three hours. And I said it randomly so she can't find a pattern. Because you're afraid of what? When she's really struggling and she has plans, but she's home, I just constantly wake up to check to make sure that she's, quote unquote, safe and still breathing. Because that's my worst thing is I need to make sure she's breathing. If I remember correctly, you found her at least once. Is that right? I found her all the times. Yes. Yeah. So like, this isn't just you hoping. You've Not me. It's not me panicking. Nope. It's me not wanting to have to do CPR on my child again. Yeah. Man, that's the sort of stress that I could never understand in terms of my own world. Like I can't. Yep. Which is why it's like, you know, why haven't you done this for yourself? Well, it's like, I will eventually be able to take care of myself. I'll get there. What I need will eventually get done. I just have to keep you know, telling myself it eventually will get easier or eventually calm down. And we have waves where it's really, really good and really, really easy. And then waves where it's just really, really difficult and not easy, not easy for her, not easy for me, not easy for my other kids or family. Your now husband moved into this home. Yep. We've been living together and married for just over a year. When we first started dating, we had only been together together a few months. When Emily had her, not I wouldn't, she hadn't had her first attempt yet, but that's when she started cutting and had her first hospitalization. He, we were dating, and we'd only been together just barely six months. He didn't run. He knew. He he knew because we were supposed to go away that weekend when she was first hospitalized. I backed out and was sitting in the ER with her, and he left work and and came and sat in the ER with me and her. Good man. Instead of running, I gave him multiple opportunities. I'm like, why are you still here? To him doing that for Emily, won Emily over. 
because she was hating men at that point. Yep. He will do anything in the world for her. Hmm. He did a lot for my kids and he stepped up more than at that point, more than their father was even willing to. I enjoy calling bullshit on things. Is there anything around how you've seen Emily treated or how you were treated by the mental health system or other humans that you feel is worth also like saying, this doesn't feel right? I don't mess around and the, the professionals hate me. They hate me. When I go in, you cannot bullshit me and tell me what you can or can't do, what you can or can't see in the computer system. And you can not tell me that they can't have this service. I'm like, it's total bullshit. Um, I will call them out and they used to hate it because I called them out. I've actually had providers remove themselves because they couldn't handle me because I was not backing down on what my child is supposed to get. And I yeah. called them out on BS too many times. Boston. Yeah, I'm not going to mess around. You're going to give me what my child needs. Emily feels bad because she has friends who she's been hospitalized with who don't have all the services that she has because uh, no one knows how to advocate for them. Or they they put their trust in a system that shouldn't be trusted. Exactly. And even the whole system system doesn't even know what's evaluate, like available out there. You have to like push. And it's like, no, I know there has to be a service out there for this. And they're like... Well, let's see. Let me ask. They don't know. They go back and ask someone else. And yes, there is, lo and behold, there is that service. Yeah. I don't expect you to be able to answer this, but there were specific things about my conversation with Emily that you wanted to clarify? Well, she doesn't remember like um, some of her actual attempts um, and what led her to be actually hospitalized. And some of those are gone. Like She remembers some and she doesn't remember some because of the ECT, which in a way is a good thing. Yeah, I could see that. It's kind of a double-edged sword. And unfortunately, she's stuck in a broken system. The system needs to be better everywhere. Yeah. There's no one to advocate for anyone unless someone knows the system. Yeah. No one knows what's out there. Like people here in Massachusetts don't even know that if they are in the hospital and they feel like they're not doing well, they have the right, especially if they have mass health, they have the right to refuse to be sent home and wait for a hospital bed. Nobody Instead, knows. the hospitals will kick them out. Nobody, you know, Most people don't know these things, and there's probably all kinds of other things. Right. Mm-hmm. If there's a certain hospital that they want to be in, they have the right to sit in a unit or even in the ER to wait for one of their top hospitals to become available. They don't have to take the first bed available. But yet the ER will tell you that if you don't take this bed, you won't have a bed. That's bullshit. And of course, you don't know any better. No one's there to help you out. And you're already in a probably rather vulnerable position. So it's like, they know. They know. They know what they're doing. And unless you have someone that is going to advocate for these people, there's nothing. Some of the doctors don't even know, like doctors that I that I work with didn't know that you can contact and set up guardianship to take care of a family member. Because like I had siblings in there and one was really, really struggling with mental health and the other sister didn't know what to do. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, you need to go get guardianship so that you can help with her care and map out her treatment because she cannot do it herself. And then told her that she needed to make sure she had this insurance so that she could get DMH so the DMH can step in. Doctors don't know this either. Doctors' offices don't know how to tell this for their patients. 
have an idea for, about someone who might be a really good advocate. Just throwing it out there. Not that yeah, you have I've thought about it, but eventually I have to go to school to do that. Nonprofit or even working for one of these nonprofits, they're not going to take you in unless you have some type of formal training or education. And all I have is my MA license and personal experience. I wouldn't sell yourself too short. I think like, oh, I don't know what these organizations do in terms of patient advocacy, but obviously whatever it is, there's still a lot of problems. So you're the person who's filling all these holes in all the stuff that you just told me nobody, nobody's talking about. Well, then somebody should be. Now, I know it's not easy. I know. And it's, it's sad. And it's like, I watch other people struggle and it's like, this is what you need to do. And anybody who knows me personally, if they have problems or they know a family member who's struggling, I get those texts and those messages to help them walk through what they need. So, I mean, I'm doing some now, but not much, just what I can, because <laughs> yeah. it's not a great system. No. Well, what else would you like to share? This has been very interesting for me. Well, I think there's not a lot of people that, I guess it's like still taboo for some people. It's like my kid's struggling. Well, I'm sorry. Like mine is too. And let me like, let you know that you're not alone. Like yeah, you don't need to hide it. Let it, people know, because if there's something that you don't understand or you can't navigate, someone else might have some advice to be able to help you. And you realize that there's more services and people out there to help. But it wasn't that long ago, and maybe I misunderstood this, where you weren't talking so much. You had to be ready to talk about your own stuff. It's hard because people are doing their their stuff, and they're only kind of ready when they're ready. But I do think sometimes a nice kick yeah. in the ass could be helpful if it's kind of not. It is. Of- they're ready when they're ready. But at the same time, it's like if you have someone who's not going to judge you and yeah. understands, it's easier to talk. I didn't talk because I felt judged and belittled and you know not important because of my ex and that's not the case like i was always made to feel dumb and like i didn't know what i was doing they kind of hid me from their coworkers and and they didn't care about me being a medical assistant or finishing school until i got one of my good jobs at a major hospital and all his coworkers were impressed and it was like oh yeah that's my wife status obsessed love those people um, is there, would there be any value here for the audience to have a slightly better understanding of why you're referring to your ex-husband as they, or is it irrelevant? doesn't matter. I think in Emily's, she said that their dad has transitioned and I struggle saying she or her because all my memories are of them as a him. Yeah. So it's easier for me to say they or them because they were he. So your ex goes by she yes you're it's so interesting you're saying they and emily says he and i've had this conversation with my ex because i'm like i'm not doing it to be disrespectful so when i talk i say they or them and discussing them with other people i use they or them i have a really hard time saying he i mean uh, her or she i either have to say their name as their now name or use they or them. I have over 20 years of them in my life as one sex, and I can't just wipe that all out and then start calling them by something else. So I try to be respectful, but it's hard. I would imagine being married to somebody, it sounded like there were some challenges for sure, but, and then they transitioned to a woman, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Are you bitter that the Patriots aren't very good anymore? 
the football isn't one of my stronger ones. I'm more hockey and baseball. Are you bitter that the Boston Red Sox aren't very good anymore? <laughs> They've gone up and down. I mean, I grew up they weren't they weren't good when I was growing right. up. They had a few good years. So, <laughs> I mean, and Boston, the 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 Bruins had one of the greatest regular seasons in history, and then they fell flat in the playoffs. But no mm-hmm. one fucking cares about your damn sports because you had a so good for so long that there's no one, unfortunately, that's going to give you much empathy with respect to your sports teams not producing. Sorry. Sorry, Jackie. We don't give a shit. I'm from New York. I live in North Carolina, and I don't have a lot of pity for your teams. Just being honest with you. And you appreciate honesty, so I'm just going to say it. Yep. I'm like, hey, whatever. <laughs> you got bigger fish to fry. I get it. Yeah. You're in a room here. We've talked mm-hmm. uninterrupted, which is surprising because you have this big family. So where is your husband? Where are your children? So I'm assuming my son, as usual, is hiding in his room playing video games, which yeah. doesn't surprise me. Right. Um, currently, Emily is in two places. She's either in her room or she will be down in the living room because she doesn't want to be alone. So those will be her two places. She's either in her room or she knows sometimes that she needs to be with people. So she'll sit in the living room. She'll play cards or whatever with us. And then the other two girls kind of hide in their room. And they play on their phone and talk on their to their friends on their phone for a little bit. And my husband is probably downstairs watching TV right now or with Emily. I don't think I've ever had people from the same family on. Which shouldn't be surprising because it suicide and mental health is a family thing. If someone has committed suicide, you know someone else in that family has suffered mental health somewhere. Probably right, right. That's the first thing they always ask every time Emily has been to, has anybody in your family ever committed suicide? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or attempted. Yeah. No. Yeah. Or attempted, but has anybody ever gone through with it? And it's on Emily's dad's side. There was an actual cousin of his mother's who committed suicide. So it doesn't surprise that. Her mother's tried three times. Mm Mm-hmm. I never mentioned that my mom, as a teenager, attempted once, and Danny's um, mother has attempted as well. So both grandmothers have. So it's not a surprise that both grandmothers, now mom, now child, is suffering. For sure. At least one silver lining is that because you've gone through all that, that's got to be a large reason why you're able to be there for her, which is nice, man. Mm Because without it, she's probably, I mean, let's call it what it is, right? She's probably not here. Yep. Emily and all her DMH work has said that if she was in any other family, she probably would not be here right now because I know her too well. She's literally from inside of you. I can read her before anybody else. It's kind of like I have like almost the same thought process so I can try to call her out ahead of time. And I notice a switch in any type of behavior in her. Well, I hope she's able to get back on her feet with respect to school, though there might be more important things, but I hope that goes well. We're trying. We're not yeah. pulling her yet. Not everybody fits, and you know this, obviously, to this, like, this is when you start school. It's like, not everybody has to start school at that age. They don't. Nope. Being well is what matters, and it's complicated, of course, but let's not get too caught up in all this bullshit, because it's bullshit, mm-hmm. I think, but what do I know? Yep. Thanks for talking. No problem. Thank you. All right, cool. Go back to your family. Thanks again. Um, it was cool catching up, or at least meeting you and talking. All right. Thank you. Have a good right. night. Have a good night, Jackie. Bye. Right, bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Jackie in Massachusetts. Thanks, Jackie. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. 
Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. You know the drill. The show notes include all kinds of other things, including our membership. We'd love to have you on board with that. There are some cool perks. So check it out. And that is all for episode number 185. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.